Um, I get to introduce to you um, one of my special friends, Terry Thompson. And uh, Terry and Kelly are here. Terry and Kelly and Robin and I, our paths crossed 30 years ago um, whenever I was um, a music pastor who thought I was all that. And Terry was a youth pastor who thought he was all that. And um, the Lord brought us together down in Indianapolis at Heather Hills Baptist Church. You guys want to see Robin and Kelly that 30 years ago? Yeah, there you go. Look at that. The love of our lives, Terry, right there. And I think they were going shopping or something, which you guys always like to do. And uh, here's, a, here's a picture of me and Terry, not 30 years ago, but not that, that it was, it's long enough to go where I look a lot better than I do now, that's for sure. And um, this is something we share, uh, the world of hunting. And I, I only point that out, not because you all like to see dead deer laying in a field. You can shut that off right now. You can go ahead and shut it off. I see somebody's vomiting over here in the corner, you know. Not because of that, but because... Um, Terry has just been a great friend for so many years, but but better than that, partner in ministry. And um, Terry is the pastor of Rock Point Church down in Crawfordsville. We got to serve together there for four years um, together. And um, Terry is um, loves the Church of Jesus Christ, but he's an evangelist and he loves to go after the heart of men and women for Jesus with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what they've been doing for 24 years in Crawfordsville, Indiana, um, building the church of Jesus Christ there in Crawfordsville and bringing many, many people. So he's a hunter for the souls of men is what he is. And I, it's my privilege to welcome him to the platform. Would you give him a big Elkhart welcome to the stage today? Love you, man. Hey, buddy. Thanks. It is so good to be with you here today. And I want to tell you this, if you would have known Phil and I 30 years ago, here's how I would describe us, young and stupid, okay? And, uh, and, 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 I, and I could tell you, we have had some unbelievable adventures together. We have done some really stupid things. I can't tell, them, tell you all of them, but I will tell you this, sometime when you get a chance, just ask him the story of when I was the youth guy, he was the worship guy during vacation Bible school in our church in Indianapolis, a young deer got hit on the road right by the church. And we thought it would be a great idea to go process that thing in the church kitchen during vacation Bible school. And the, the ladies of the kitchen, I thought were going to kill us, like ki literally kill us. And, uh, and we did a lot of things when we were young and stupid. And the only difference now is we're just old and stupid, right? <laughs> so that, that's the only difference now. But man, so good to be here with you. And we have some great ties to First Baptist Church. My brother, Todd, was actually on staff here for, for many years. And some of you might remember him. And, um, and Dave Bailey and, and Roman and Dima and some of his crew years ago actually built our church in Crawfordsville. And so we've got a lot of really great ties, and it's super exciting to be here. And your pastor and his wife are just dear, dear friends of ours and have been for a very long time. And I have, I have two brothers, and I would consider Phil uh, another brother in my life. I think that much of him. He's just such a great guy, and we love him to death. Let me just start by saying this. My, 
My dad was a men's college basketball coach for 15 years at Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. And so I grew up in a coach's home. And one of the things I learned in a coach's home, I learned a lot of really valuable life lessons, but one of the things I learned growing up with a coach was this. Anytime you're preparing to do anything, and this is a life lesson, anytime you're preparing to do anything, always define the win and then play for the win. And so I want to define for you what the win for me is this morning as we open God's word. Because whenever I open God's word, whether it's at our church at Rock Point, whether it's at another church, whether it's speaking at a conference, working with pastors across the country, whatever it is, I always have two things that are the win for me. Win number one is that Christ is exalted, right? Christ is always exalted. And we see that in in Colossians chapter one, where it tells us, and he is the head of the body, the church, okay, that's Christ. And then at the end of that verse, it says that in everything, he might be preeminent. And so as we open God's word, number one, we wanna make sure that Christ is exalted. And, and I so appreciate your worship this morning. I mean, Christ was exalted this morning in our worship, and that's always the win. If Christ isn't exalted, if we make it about us and not about him, then we all lose today. We understand that, right? And so it's, it's all about Jesus this morning. But here's win number two, and this is a really cool theme that I stumbled on as I was reading throughout the Bible. And, and my second win is this, that when we open God's word, we want to encourage and strengthen people with the word of God. And I want to tell you this, I found this really cool verse in Deuteronomy chapter three, kind of a weird place to find a really cool verse, but in Deuteronomy chapter three, Moses is fussing with God about not being able to go into the promised land. And it's the passage where God finally says, hey, Moses, guess what? You're not going, all right? End of story, no more discussion, you're not going. But Moses, here's what I want you to do. And in Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 28, it says this, God said to, to Moses, Commission Joshua, encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people. Encourage and strengthen him. And we see the same thing in the New Testament in Acts chapter 14. The apostle Paul is, has been stoned and left for dead. God revives him. He, he and Barnabas go on and they minister to some of the churches that they had already planted on their missionary journey. And look what it says in, in Acts chapter 14. It says, and they preached the gospel in that city and number, uh, won a great number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Myconia, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. Those two words are great words. It means to come alongside and shore up something that is already there. And see, every time we open the word of God, when Phil preaches, when I preach, all we do is we open this word and we come alongside you to already shore up what is there, what God is already doing, the work he's already doing in our lives. We just want to encourage and strengthen. Those are the wins for me today. Exalt Christ and that when you leave today, you're encouraged because of the word of God and you're also strengthened in how you walk out of here that you're gonna be different than how you walked in here this morning. So let me pray for us and, and we're gonna dive into a text today. Lord, I thank you so much for the day that you've given to us. 
God, it is an honor and a privilege to be here at First Baptist Church. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here with Phil and Robin, some of our very, very dear friends. Uh, We have probably laughed more with them and cried more with them than maybe anybody else in our lives. And so I thank you for deep friendships that mean so much. And I know for us, they have been an encouragement and a strengthening to us in our lives, and we appreciate them so very much. But God, today, as we open your word together, I pray the spirit of God would just be here in a very evident way that he would take the words of of the Bible today and he would encourage and strengthen our hearts in what we're gonna look at. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're gonna start there. And then we're also gonna go to Judges chapter six. So if, if you can do multitask, get to both of those places this morning, and, uh, and we're going to look at some things that are really cool. And I want to fit into the theme of what you've been talking about, um, extraordinary something in the nothing. And here's the question. Can we be that nobody, that nothing that God uses in extraordinary ways? Can you be that? And can I be that? And I firmly believe the answer to that is yes. That we can be a bunch of nobodies that God can use in extraordinary ways if we just allow him to work through us. And and we're gonna, I'm gonna get us to the place today where we're gonna talk about a guy in the Bible that probably most of you have never heard of before. And his name is only mentioned, I think, twice in all of the Bible, and I'm not really sure how to say his name, but this is how I say it. Pu-rah. P-U-R-A-H. Anybody ever heard of Pu-rah before? Anybody? Kelly has because she's heard me preach before, okay? See, look, there's not one hand that went up. Nobody has ever heard of this guy. His name is Pu-rah. I actually love the name, right? Don't you love that? Pooh-rah. I tried to get my kids, when they had kids, to name one of my grandkids Pooh-rah. They weren't going for it, okay? And they didn't, and I'm really crushed by that still. But this is a, this is a really cool guy that you're gonna see today was an absolute nobody because none of you have ever heard of him before, but a guy that God used in an extraordinary way, which will prove to us that God can use us in an extraordinary way as well to do some really incredible things. And so I'm really excited to share that with you today. But here's a characteristic of somebody that God is gonna use in extraordinary ways, and it's this, that they're all in for God. They're all in. And people that are all in for the cause of Christ means this, that there's gonna be times that we crash and burn but we're gonna get up and we're gonna keep going and we're not gonna throw on the towel and we're not gonna wave the right flag. We're gonna keep going. That's what it means to be all in. It doesn't mean all in means that life is always gonna be great. In fact, it means the opposite. Life is gonna be hard, but we're gonna keep going anyway. And somebody, and I saw this, I read this story. Okay, look at this picture for a minute up here. This, this, is a, this is a mountain bike race in France. 
and it's a thousand guys on mountain bikes or ladies, and they start off by going down the sheer face of a glacier. They're on pure ice. And at the bottom of the hill, they funnel these thousand guys and ladies into a funnel that they have to try to get through in order to keep going in the race. This hill is so dangerous, they call it the mountain of hell. Okay? That's how dangerous it is. Now, who wants to see a 30-second video of what this looks like? (laughs) I knew it. So, lucky for you, I brought the video this morning. Okay? So, watch this. That's good. Let's cut it right there. Okay, so first question is always this. Who are the adrenaline junkies that would go like, I really want to do that? Anybody? See, there's always a few. There's always a few. But here's the thing. Doesn't that remind you of the Christian life? Right? When you accept Christ, it's like going over the hill. You're all in. Right? There's no turning back once you get over the crest of that hill. And sometimes, as you're, as you're doing this thing called the Christian life, sometimes you're fortunate enough or skilled enough to get through the funnel and keep going in the race. But there's other times that you're going to end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. How many of you would say this? In my life, There's been a few times that I've ended up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. How many have been there before? Okay, yeah. Like we all all have, right? We all have our stories. And here's the thing, to be all in means this, that that we get up and we keep going. Right? We don't wave the white flag. We don't quit. We, we don't do those kind of things. We, we keep going. And, and why do we get up and keep going? Because how many times we're like, wait a minute, God's putting me on, me on the bike and he's sending me down the hill again. And I don't really think I want to go down that hill again. But you know what? To be all in, you keep going. And when you end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill, you get back on the bike and you keep going. The apostle Paul knew what that was like. Look at, look, it'll be on the screen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter four. The apostle Paul, he said this. We're hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. 
You know what Paul was saying? Hey, I've been on the bike and I've ended up in the pile at the bottom of the hill many times, but guess what? Every time we got up and we kept going. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in constant on the move, I've been in dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, in dangers from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And if Paul is telling you his story and he's saying, this is what happens to me, how many of you are gonna say this to him? Dude, why do you keep getting on the bike? Why do you keep getting on the bike? Because it seems like you're not a very good rider. Because every time you get on the bike, you end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. Maybe you need to get off the bike and give up the race. Because that might be what I would have said to him. Why did he stay all in? Look at Acts chapter 20. I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons why. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Paul says this, I only know that in how many cities? Every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. In every city. Anybody besides me gonna go, nope, I'm not going down that hill again. I'm not getting on that bike again. No, thank you. Like, this is no fun doing this thing called living for Jesus anymore. And yet, why did he keep going? Look at the end of this verse. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You see, there's a greater cause than us in why we do this life. There's a greater cause. And that cause is called Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul goes on then and, and, he, and he says this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's the cause that I wanna talk to you about. The reason that we, that we keep getting on the bike, the reason that we stay in the race, the reason that we keep getting up and, and, and continue to go when we end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill, the reason is the resurrection. Can I get an amen to that? The reason is the resurrection. Because the resurrection is the foundation behind what we believe and, why what, and what we do. It's the greater cause that keeps us going when we end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me, which is what we call the great resurrection chapter. And the apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You see, Paul said, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then there is no reason for us to be here this morning. There is no reason to share our faith. There is no reason to go into our community and build houses and be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's no reason to do all of those things. There's no reason to serve. There's no reason to give. If the resurrection didn't happen, then everything that we believe, it falls apart and it crumbles and there is no cause to do what we do. And Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians so that when he wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians, he could say, there's a reason why I keep getting on the bike and keep going down the hill, even though I end up in the pile now and now again. There's a reason, there's a greater cause, and that greater cause is the person of Jesus Christ. I've pastored at Rock Point Church for 24 years. We have residency programs. We have summer interns that we bring in. We bring in year-long and three-year-long. And I know First Baptist has done that for a lot of years. You've trained up a lot of young people to go out into the world. And this is some of those that, that we have trained up and we've sent out. And they're pastors and they're missionaries and they're serving God all over the place. And we intentionally bring them into our church to train them up and send them out. And here's what we know. We know that all of these young people, as we send them out to do ministry, at some point are gonna go down that icy hill and they're gonna end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. We know that's where they're gonna end up. And you say, okay, then why would you ever do that to them? <laughs> why would you encourage them to go into ministry knowing they're gonna end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill? We know that there's times they're gonna be hard-pressed. We know there's times we're gonna be perplexed and persecuted and struck down and exhausted and wasting away. And so why do you encourage them to get on the bike and go down that mountain? The reason is what? The resurrection, right? It's all about Jesus because there's a greater cause than us. Think about this, parents and grandparents in here. How many parents and grandparents do we have in the room? Raise your hand. Why do we influence our children for the cause of Christ? Why do you bring them to church? Why do you have devotions with them? Why do you tell them about Jesus? Why do you tell them that, hey, we really want you to live for Jesus your whole life? Because especially with where the world is today, here's what we know. We're putting our kids on that icy mountain and we're sending them down the hill. And if you're gonna live for Jesus in this world and it's not gonna get better, right? We know that there's gonna be times that our kids are gonna end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. And our grandkids are gonna end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. Why in the world would we then encourage them to go out and live their lives for Jesus Christ? The reason is what? The resurrection, right? It's, it's, it's bigger than us, right? And there's more in this world and in our lives and just this world. There's an eternity that awaits and someday it will be worth it all, amen? amen. Someday it'll be worth it all. 
The apostle Paul has this thing going on that's very important. And so look at, look at the very last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because here's where Paul kind of sums this up. And this is where I'm going to transition into the rest of, of this message. But Paul says in verse 58, therefore, okay, therefore. So he just spent 57 verses telling us the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the foundation and cornerstone of our faith. And so he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Wow. When I, when I talk to pastors and I use that verse with them, I say to them, and I'll say it to you too, God's people need to eat that verse for breakfast every day. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Man, doesn't that encourage you today? God has a plan and what we do for him, it will always produce some great fruit because God is in all of that. The reason is the resurrection. It's the greater cause. Now, Take your Bibles and flip over with me, if you will, to Judges chapter six. And I, and, and I wanna use that as the foundation for where we're gonna go in Judges chapter six. And in Judges chapter six, we know this story. It's the story of Gideon, right? And, 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 and we're all familiar with that story. And here's the background to what's happening in Judges chapter six. Gideon is facing an icy mountain. God's gonna put him on a bike and say, hey, I want you to go down this icy mountain and Gideon is anything but steadfast and immovable and he doesn't want to go, okay? He doesn't wanna go. And here's, here's the background. Oh, and, and what we're gonna see is that as he falters in not wanting to do what God has called him to do, God's gonna send somebody to his side to encourage him along. And guess who that somebody is? Poo-rah, poo-rah. The guy that nobody's ever heard of before is gonna go with him to encourage him along. The background is this, and I, and I wanna tell you, show you a really cool thing, but the background is this. We know, we know the book of Judges. The nation of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and so the God, God would punish them, he would judge them through foreign nations that would come in and, and desecrate their land. And so for, for this time, for the time of Gideon, the Midianites are the country that God had used to punish the nation of Israel. And for seven years, the Midianites came in during the time of the harvest and they would just decimate the land of Israel. And, and the nation of Israel, um, like seven years, it was just an awful time. And look at Judges chapter six, starting in, in verse one. It says this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and in the caves and in the strongholds, okay? Now, I want you to pay attention to verse two. I'm gonna come back to that in a second. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them 
and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkeys for they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted so they laid waste to the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Okay, so uh, seven years they would come in and the nation of Israel, then they, they knew they were coming and so they had to survive. And so what it says is that they would hide in the rocks and the clefts and in the caves and things like that. So, so let me just tell you a really cool thing. Uh, before COVID hit, we would take, uh, a trip every other year and take people from our church to Israel. One of the places we would go is what we call the hiding caves. And just on a, on a barren um, side of a hill, there were caves that the nation of Israel, they would dig in and they would hide when the enemies would come. And so I want you to see this picture. So, so there's Kelly and me. Um, we're gonna crawl into this cave, into this hole. And, and it's actually a brilliant strategy by the nation of Israel because what you do, whoops, go back to that last picture for a minute. There we go. So, so what you do is you crawl in and it's just big enough to crawl through. And you would crawl for a little ways and then there'd be a 90 degree angle and you would crawl and then there's another 90 degree angle and then another 90 degree angle. And it's a brilliant strategy because if the enemy came to get you, they could only send one person at a time. And if you killed that guy, they'd have to drag him out by his feet and then they could only send one more person in after you. Now, I wanna tell you this, it's, it's dark and it's really tight and even a guy of my length, like some of those 90 degree turns, like I'd have to like, like you know, bend around and get my knees just the right way so I could like get through there and then I could keep crawling. So who's claustrophobic in here? Because your hands are getting sweaty and you're starting to like, like hyperventilate a little bit right now, okay? But, but, but here's, here's what they would do then. So, you, so you, you go in there and you crawl through this tunnel and then go to the next picture. Then it opens up into this big room and you see those triangles. That's where they would, um, that's where the pigeons that they were raising for food and things like that would live in there. And they would literally live underground, when the people of the, of the other um, enemies would come in after them. And then in that big room, go to the next picture, you can see, uh, go ahead, there you go. In that room, then there would be a hole over here and a hole over here and a hole over here and there are more tunnels that you crawl through and it opens up into another big room. And it's like this whole maze of underground living that the nation of Israel did. And you can see how tight some of those holes are. And it gets a little creepy sometimes, but it's super cool to see it. So think about this is how bad would it be if you literally went to live underground to survive? Okay, that, that's what we're talking about here. So, so we know the story. God calls Gideon, chapter six, verse 12 Right, God calls Gideon and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Okay, hey Gideon, you're the man for the job. And, and we know that, that Gideon didn't think he was the man for the job. Verse 15, 
And Gideon said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Hey, you know what, God? I'm just not the right guy for the job. And Gideon was reluctant. Now, here's what we know from the story. Gideon started out with 32,000 soldiers. Chapter 7, verse 3 And we know the Midianites had at least 135,000 soldiers, chapter 8, verse 10. But God whittled Gideon's army down to 300. So 300 against 135,000, Gideon didn't like his odds. Gideon didn't want to get on that bike and head down that mountain. How many of you would say, I don't think I like those odds either, right? Uh, I, I, God, no, you know what? I don't think I'm getting on that bike because there's no chance of making it through that without ending up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. And so we get it. Okay, Gideon, uh, we, we understand your reluctance. But then chapter seven, Gideon's afraid. He's fearful. He doesn't want to do this thing. And I want you to see this little verse that's a really cool verse. Chapter seven, starting in verse seven. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give you the Midianites into your hand and let all the people go, everyone to his own home. Let your other soldiers go. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel's, every man to his tent and he retained 300 men and the camp of Midian was below in the valley. And that same night, the Lord said to him, arise and go against the camp for I have given it into your hand. But if you are what? Afraid. Gideon, if you're afraid, and he was, we know that. If you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with who? Poorah. Take Poorah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Here's what I want to say to you. Gideon was fearful and afraid. He didn't like his odds, and we don't blame him for that. But God knew that he needed somebody else to encourage him along and go with him. And so God said, hey, Gideon, if you're afraid, (laughs) if you're afraid, take Purah with you. Take your servant with you. Take this no-name guy that nobody has ever heard of other than in this little story right here. But, but, But... and why did God put that in the end of the text? Because sometimes people that are just ordinary people, God can use in extraordinary ways by just coming alongside and going with somebody who's headed down the icy mountain and they're afraid and they just need somebody at their side. That's all they need. Your pastor has been a poo-rah to me in my life. And, and, I, and I want to tell you a story, and I want to tell you the ending of the story. In uh, Phil K, so we went to Crawfordsville, Indiana, 15,000 people, okay? And we went to a church of 20 elderly people that needed revitalization. And so when we walked in at 35 years old, there were 20 elderly people. Uh, there were two men, no kids, and the rest were just elderly ladies, And the average age was 64 years old. 
And we walked into that and God started to do some really miraculous things. Phil joined our team and, and our church grew from 20 to 500. And that's a pretty good sized church in a town of 15,000 people. And, and, and we were busting at the seams. And so, so we decided we need to do something. We need to relocate and build and all of that. And so, so we went into a building program. We had everything drawn up. We went into a capital campaign. We were raising money. And then how many of you remember the economic crash of 2008? Do you remember that? That was right when we were ready to pull the trigger to spend $4.4 million and build a church. And I want to tell you this, I'm a guy that doesn't like debt, and I was afraid. I was afraid. And I had people coming up to me going, hey, 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 we can't do this right now. Like, this is insanity. Like, like we have to stop. And I want to tell you, I was about ready to go, nope, we're not doing this right now, not when we just hit this economic crash. And there was a guy that came and whispered into my ear, God is in this. Look what God has done here. Look how God is leading. We have to go. We have to keep doing this. There was a guy that whispered that in my ear. Guess who that guy was? Him. Right there. It was him. I remember vividly the day that I signed a $3 million construction loan in 2008. And it's why I have some of my gray hair today. And I lost a lot of sleep in those days. He encouraged me to follow God and to do and to get on the bike and go down the mountain. Today, our church, we run about 1,000 people on Sunday. We built that church. What God has done, the people that have been saved, is amazing what God has done. It probably wouldn't have happened if God didn't have Phil Byers in that place at that time when I was fearful and faltering and afraid to go, we got to do this. We got to do this. I want to show you two quotes, and if you if you like good quotes, like get your phone out because you're going to want to take a picture of this. There's no QR code, but this is really cool anyway. <laughs> look, look at these quotes. One is one is by John Piper, and it says, "The Christian life is a call to risk. You either live with risk or you waste your life." That's a great quote. C.S. Lewis said, the way you know you're living by faith is that what you're doing for God scares you. And if it doesn't, there's no faith involved. So let me give you the rest of the story now. 2008, God taught me some really cool lessons because Phil was in my ear going, no, we can't live in fear, we have to go. Now that I'm almost 60 couple months away from that, right behind Phil. Next Sunday, after 24 years at Rock Point Church, next Sunday, I will hand the baton to a next generation pastor who will become the lead pastor at Rock Point Church. And God has called Kelly and I into a new ministry called Small Church USA. 
over the 24 years that we have been at Rock Point and, done, and, and God's done a miraculous revitalization, we've had so many pastors and churches reach out to us and go, can you help us? We have the same need. How did you do it? Can you help us? And we've done that in a very informal way. But the need is huge in our world today. The church of Jesus Christ in America is dying. And there's a huge need for revitalization. And we believe God has called us to step out in faith and try to do what we can to minister to pastors and churches. And, and we soft launched our ministry just a couple of years, a year and a half ago. We're already working with about 60 churches from uh, about 11 different states. And, and God is opening some unbelievable doors. Why are we stepping out in faith now at 60? This is nuts, right? Why would we do that now? Because in 2008, I learned a lesson about trusting God and walking by faith and not living in fear, which has taken me to what we're gonna do today. And the, and the guy that doesn't give any of the credit for everything that's happened about what went on at Rock Point and, and Small Church USA is a guy that had a huge influence and it's that guy right there because he came alongside and he encouraged me when I needed encouragement. Amen, that's right. And so here's what I wanna say to you today. Let's bring this thing full circle, right? Can we be a nobody that God can use to do extraordinary things? Yes, and sometimes it's as simple as just coming along somebody else and encourage them encouraging them along, not to live in fear, but to trust God, even when God puts them on the bike, heading down the icy mountain, or when they end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill, that we can come along and go, hey, it's okay, you're gonna make it, let's do this. Because there's a greater cause than us, and the cause is the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen, Amen. let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for... The truth, God, we know that sometimes we get put on an icy mountain and it's not fun and it's challenging and it's hard and sometimes we end up in the pile at the bottom of the hill. But God, there are times that we can just come along other people and wrap our arms around them and say, hey, it's gonna be okay. Don't live in fear. Trust God. Keep going. There's a greater cause and that cause is the person of Jesus Christ. And God, we never know how we can be used as just a bunch of nobodies that God can use in an extraordinary way. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Terry. You know, you might be today, um, <laughs> you might be in the pile or you're trying to get back up and your wheel's all bent and you're trying to go and you just can't, you just, can somebody help me? Is there a mechanic in the room that can help me straighten my tire? Um, we have some people that wanna pray over that. If you're in a spot where you just really need some help, would you um, come on down to the front after the service? Um, we've got a prayer team down here and we care about what's, what you care about and so does the Lord, and we can go to him and ask for help and walk alongside you in that way. We'd love to uh, meet with you if that's the case for you. You know, um, Terry and Kelly, are. Um, we had dinner with them last night, and they were actually sharing with us their anxiety, a little bit of anxiety, and this is a faith test 
for them as they launch into this new ministry. But I can tell you, God's already using them powerfully. He's going to use them in ever-increasing way because that need to revitalize churches in America today is going to increase. And he's gonna, he's uniquely gifted, they both are, to walk alongside uh, pastors and their wives who are struggling in the smaller church to be able to just keep on going and get back up on the bike. And so um, they, have a, they have a table out back, and um, when we get done, we're gonna let them head out first, and then um, they're gonna hang out there. If you wanna find out more about that, you might wanna invest in that. We're gonna walk alongside of them. We're actually talking right now, the elders and deacons, about um, how we can walk alongside them in this ministry because what our part will be to be able to play to, um, um, what are you trying to, yeah, pay for somebody's way. Scholarship, that's the word I'm looking for. See, I'm just a nothing, Terry. <laughs> um, but scholarship, we're, we're gonna try to come alongside and help scholarship some pastors who can't afford it and their churches can't afford it. These are the, these are the churches they're going to to help them get through their year-long program and help uh, with that revitalization. That, that would encourage you, right? That, was, that would be a fun thing to be part of and uh, to help the Church of Jesus Christ across the nation through their ministry. Well, let's all stand together, and um, why don't you guys, Robin, why don't you take them on out, and uh, they can be out in the back to greet you. And um, Lord, we love you. Thank you, for, thank you for calling us. We all stand here in our own unique way and just kind of shake our heads that you would that you would choose us, that you would come and visit us and enlighten our hearts and save us and redeem our past mistakes and, and say, you, you, you're the one I wanna use, let's go. And empower us and equip us to do your work. It's such a humbling and yet awesome thing to be part of your work. So encourage my brothers and sisters um, as they go out today, use them powerfully today, strengthen all of us as we advance your kingdom um, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen. Hey, love you guys, thank you. God bless you.